The county has over 3,600 roads. Anytime you drive on a roadway, whatever you see as part of driving on a roadway, whether it's a sign, whether it's pavement markings, whether it's curb and gutter, asphalt, street trees, street lights, storm drain infrastructure, guardrails, all of that is maintained by Bureau of Highways. Hello, and welcome to Green Dragon, a monthly show brought to you by Howard Community College, where we talk about green initiatives in the state, the county, and ongoing sustainability efforts at Howard Community College, and ideas and ways for you to be more sustainable at home. I'm Bob Marietta, HCC's Environmental Health and Safety Supervisor, and I thank you for being with me today. My guest today is Chris Jagaparu, who is Chief of the Howard County Bureau of Highways Maintenance. Chris, could you tell us a little bit about the educational and career path you took to get into your current position? Good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Chris Jagarapu, I'm with the Department of Public Works, Bureau of Highways. The educational background, I have a master's degree in civil engineering. I'm a licensed professional engineer in the state of Maryland. So that's my little background. When did you know that you were going to be uh, getting involved in, in highways? There's an awful lot of different things that civil engineers can get into. So I grew up in a family of civil engineers. My dad's a civil engineer from early on. I got into engineering because of my dad and some of the stuff that he did. About uh, 25 years ago, I wanted to do something in transportation rather than focus on structures, which is what my dad is focused in. And I got into transportation, got my master's in civil engineering with a focus in transportation engineering, and eventually started my uh, career uh, looking into traffic-related issues and transportation-related issues. Worked in the private sector for about eight years or nine years or so before switching to the public sector and joined Howard County to manage the traffic signals within Howard County. Eventually, my roles changed after I came to the county, became chief of traffic engineering division to oversee the division to install all traffic control devices within the county. And for the past five years or so, I have been managing the Bureau of Highways to manage all roadways that are owned and maintained by Howard County. So if, if you were a young person starting out today, is that the path you'd recommend? Start out as general engineering and then go into civil and then specialize? Or are there due paths the kids are taking these days? Well, I think like if you start in civil engineering, there's various aspects of civil engineering that people can get involved in. Once you like a certain field within civil engineering, if you do pursue a master's degree, you are increasing your focus in a specific area within civil engineering, which is what I did. Somebody could be interested in structures. They could get their master's degree in structures. Somebody could be interested in environmental engineering. They could focus their education to get a master's degree there. But when you go to civil engineering degree, it is a broad spectrum, and then you get to cover a lot more different areas under the civil engineering umbrella within the bachelor's degree. So many of us don't realize what all is involved in that. We're certainly glad that you followed the path that you did. It's made a real impact here in the county. So what was it about Maryland and specifically Howard County that moved you to settle here? Well, I grew up in India and came to the United States to go to college and I lived in the Northwest for about two years and moved to the D.C. metro area about 24 years ago because of the diversity. I wanted to live in a larger metro area and came to D.C. when I was in grad school for a conference by name, Transportation Research Board Conference, a large conference with about 8,000 people or so. 
from across the world that attend this event in the national capital every January. So like I came to that conference for two years in a row and liked the area, liked uh, different things that DC had to offer. And when it came to a choice to select a job, I did have a job offer in the Northern Virginia area and had a job offer in the Northwest in Oregon. I decided to come to DC instead of living in uh, the Northwest region. We're certainly glad you did. Now, we all saw firsthand and really appreciated your department's handiwork in dealing with the latest back-to-back snowfalls. That was impressive. What do you want the public to know about what all you have to do to keep us safe on the roads? Well, there's a lot of stuff that goes in the background. You know, a lot of times the thing that people don't realize how much effort goes in prior to an event. And the back-to-back events, I guess we didn't have snow. The last two years, we had very minimal snow. And when we had snow, two events in in one week, that definitely uh, did a stress test on some of our newer staff that we have. There's about 140, 150 people in the Bureau that usually help with snow removal activities. And a lot of us pay attention to the weather forecast, pay attention to what goes on. And uh, we start our preparation a couple of days prior to an event so that we are prepared by the time the event comes, we are ready to go. Once the event comes, we try to manage to make sure that all roadways in the county are passable for people to be able to get from point A to point B. Uh, Howard County has over 3,600 roads that we are responsible for the maintenance. The county is divided into about 88 snow routes. So each route has about 15 to 20 miles of roadway that the operator is responsible for clearing snow and maintaining it during the winter months. So prior to even a snow event, what we do is the preparation for the snow event starts as early as September and October is when we start looking at our snow routes to see how many miles of roadway that each operator has. There are new roadways that get added into the county road system when new subdivisions get built. And those roadways will have to be incorporated into an existing snow route. So we start looking at some of those snow routes as early as September, October timeframe. Once we have that, we also go through coordination effort amongst other agencies within the county and also outside the county, try to see different things that we need to do, come up with a plan on how we are going to respond, what we need to do, how many pieces of equipment that we have, and if we need to use any contractor resources, trying to have those contracts set up trying to get the contractors in line with our expectations on how things need to work. So a lot of that work happens in October, November timeframe. So come November, we're already ready for any uh, winter weather that comes our way. So a lot of that preparation work happens like prior to the event. So once we get closer to the event, we track the weather during the whole season, trying to see if there's something that is going to come our way. And we have supervisors and superintendents within the county that I rely on quite a bit and seek their advice in making decisions on when we need to respond, how we need to respond, or what we need to do. So there's a lot of stuff that happens in the background prior to a snow event. So what can drivers and pedestrians do to help you help us? I know we see the commercials about please don't try and pass the snow plows, but are there other guidelines that you can suggest, things that we can do when we're on the road with you or walking on the sidewalks near you? I think it's a great thing. I think what you mentioned is, you know, be aware. The snowplow operators, when they're out and about trying to do different things, we have long days. Sometimes the events spread so long that the operators that are, have been working for multiple hours before you see them. Try not to pass the vehicles. Give yourself some room between the snowplows. 
if you don't have to be out and about, try not to go out in the roadways. We understand things happen. You need to be out in the roadways. Just remember that the snowplow operators may or may not be able to see you uh, if you're driving too close to them. So give some distance, maintain distance between the plow and, and yourselves. And these snowplow operators have to try to clear snow, especially at intersections. When we are trying to like, you know, push snow at the corners of the intersections, and a lot of times, I mean, like, they're monitoring different directions of the vehicle, trying to make sure like everything is clear. And if you see a truck operating uh, at a corner of an intersection, let them do their work and then like, you know, give them some space so that uh, you're visible to the operator. And, and once they're done, then try to move along your path. If you're walking along the roadway, when we are pushing snow, try to make sure like, that uh, operators do look for pedestrians. Sometimes they might not expect you. They're looking for you, but then like, if you hear there's a snowplow coming, try to walk away from the road a little bit. A couple of things that I do want to mention is if you are in a cul-de-sac, especially in a cul-de-sac or in a roadway that is a narrow roadway, if it is at all possible for you to park your vehicle on your driveway, please do so, so that we could clear the snow completely from one end of the curb to the other end of the curb, rather than having to try to uh, maneuver around park vehicles. That is one of the biggest challenges that the snowplow operators have. Also, if you live in a local roadway or in a cul-de-sac, please wait until we come through. Usually, some of the residents try to you know, clear their driveways, open the roadways up, their driveways up before we plow. So if we come and plow, last thing we want to do is to dump the snow from the roadway onto your driveway again and needing for you to go back and clear the snow from your driveway a second time. So if you can wait, that will be appreciated. Let us come through. And once we come through, then you can go ahead and clear it. If you have to clear the snow off of your driveway, leave the last five feet or so. That way you don't have to redo the second time. Typically for local roadways, we only come through to plow the roads once unless it is a large snow event. But most of the events that we have, we usually plow once so that we don't block the driveways. We've all seen the stripes on the road shortly before the snow and ice get started. So besides giving drivers a weather alert, what's going on with those stripes? So that is what we call a pretreatment. The last few years or so, you might have noticed it a lot more of that being used within the county. Before, the idea behind it is to use salt-brine solution to pretreat the roadways so that the snow, when it falls on the roadway, it gives a little bit more time for us to respond to the event. It does not allow the snow to adhere to the roadway and bond with the roadway and create a, an icy, slippery surface. That's what the white lines are. It's a pretreatment effort that we do to make sure that the snow does not bond with the roadway and gives us a little bit more time uh, for us to respond to snow events. You called it brine, so I guess it's got salt in it, but what's it made of? Rock salt and water. Those are the two primary things that we have in salt brine. The concentration of salt is 23.3% salt brine, what it does is it lowers the freezing temperature so that snow does not become ice quickly. Also, since it sticks to the road, I guess you, if you used rock salt, a lot of it gets bounced away or gets tracked away on tires and stuff. So how much does using the brine cut down on how much salt you have to apply? I would say salt brine is a tool in a toolbox. There are situations where we cannot do the pretreatment. For example, if the weather forecast calls for precipitation to arrive in the form of rain prior to it becoming snow, then we typically do not apply salt brine. 
we only apply salt brine when the precipitation is coming in the form of snow. If you use rock salt, rock salt has a tendency to bounce off the roadway. And typically we don't apply rock salt until after the snow starts to fall. So what salt brine does is to bias that time from the time that the snowflakes come down to when we actually have to go and apply salt on the roadways. So how far ahead of the snowfall do you try and apply the brine? Yes, we can apply salt brine for up to 48 to 72 hours prior to a snow event. So as I mentioned before, we're keeping track of the weather forecast, trying to see if the forecasts are going to hold up or not. If it's going to come in as snow, if it is going to come in the form of snow, then we try to make plans to apply salt brine at least a day or two days prior to the snow arrival. Does the air temperature have any impact on the brine? So the air temperature, salt is effective to about 18 to 20 degrees. And when the temperatures go below 18 or 20 degrees, it still works, but it takes a little longer for it to work. Usually, like we try to pay attention to the weather forecast. We pay attention to what the surface temperatures are before we make a decision on whether we want to use salt brine or whether we want to use something different. Now, I know you have quite an elaborate GIS tracking system on all your trucks. Can you say a little bit about how that tracking and the control system helps you use the right amount of chemicals in the right places at the right times? Yeah, very good question. So all of our snowplow trucks are equipped with automated vehicle locators. So what these AVL devices do is they show where our snowplow trucks are. From a supervisor perspective, they can track to see like if we completed a certain route and if we have not completed a certain route. All of our trucks also have sophisticated equipment installed on them where they dispense a certain amount of salt. So for the operator, it becomes a lot easier for them to set it to a certain amount of salt or uh, liquids that we have to apply. And all the driver has to then focus on is to focus on the roadway, focus on other things that they need to focus on rather than trying to adjust how much salt is coming out at the back of the truck or how much liquid is coming out at the back of the truck all the time. There are situations where the operators still have to go and make adjustments. For example, they might come to a cold spot where if it's already preset to a certain value of how much salt is coming out, there might be some cold spots where they may have to apply a little bit more material than the normal application rate so they can adjust those. But the trucks themselves are preset with the application rates on what they need to do. And the driver will have to just drive the truck uh, is, is how they're equipped. And the tracking system also helps the residents to see where we are in terms of our operations. The website that is there, Hoko Snowplow Tracker website, allows the residents to see and make their decisions on whether the roads are clear or not clear. When you see our trackers have come through and provided service on your roadway, that would be a good indication whether you can go out and about and make your trip or not. Those decisions can be made with help of this feature. A lot of times you look outside your driveway and then you see that road in front of your house, but you don't know like what other roadways uh, look like until you actually get out. The idea behind the snowplow tracker is to give the uh, residents that opportunity for them to know what roadways are serviced and what roadways have not been serviced yet. How much salt do you actually wind up applying on a typical snowfall, if there is a typical snowfall? It depends on the type of storm. For a typical snowstorm, we go anywhere 
I mean, the application rate that we try to use is roughly about 400 to 500 pounds per lane mile is what we use. And the county has roughly about 2,400 lane miles of roadway. So it varies by the event. If it's a long drawn event and if you have to do like multiple applications versus one salt application, typically about like 500 to 600 tons is what we apply for one salt run. Now, I know you're very conscious of the environmental impacts of that salt. What concerns you about the environmental impacts and what do you try and do about it? One of the things with salt, once it dissolves in the water, it stays as salt water. There's no simple way to take the salt out. Once the salt water gets into drinking water supply or in the other ecosystems close by, it may have an impact. So we are mindful of how much salt we use. We're always trying to find ways to reduce the amount of salt that we use when we do snow removal on county road base. Does using the brine help reduce the amount of salt you use? It definitely does. As I mentioned before, salt brine is about 23% concentration. So when we try to apply salt on a roadway versus salt brine, the amount of salt that we use is definitely less when we use salt brine. I know you follow the weather reports really closely. Are you making plans to adapt to climate change? We are. I think like, you know, what, we, what we're noticing lately is a lot of storms that, especially in our area, are not a straight snow event. We're getting a lot of mixed precipitation type of events lately. It could be ice, it could be freezing rain, it could be snow. So the precipitation type and then the intensity of some other storms is also different. Sometimes the forecasts are coming up where we're expecting about inch and a half of snow Come to find out, we ended up getting like about four or five inches of snow. A lot of times, some of these things are slightly different. So we pay close attention to climate change, and we are definitely are noticing some of the differences in how things are working out. On average, we get about 10 snow events. But if you look at the last two years, I mean, there were very few snow events. And this year so far, we got three recorded events that we have responded to. Are you making any long-range predictions or any of your compatriots? Also in your field, make any long-range projections about what we're going to have to put up with here in Maryland? Not making any long-range plans, but definitely, you know, one of the things within Howard County, we're looking at our climate action plan. As you know, the county exec has strong visions, especially on the environmental side. Climate change and resiliency is something that we're focusing on and we're trying to work on for improving our response to the citizens. Uh, I know our county executive has created a sub-cabinet with representatives from all departments to plan for resilience to climate change. What issues in particular do your representatives from your department take to those cabinet meetings? Well, good question. I think there are different things that especially Bureau of Highways has been working on or Public Works has been working on as part of the Climate Action Plan. As you are aware, I mean, the county exec back in 2019 started vision of reducing our greenhouse gas emissions to be lowered by 45% by 2030 and to eliminate them completely by 2050. And there's multiple things that we're working on. My group is part of the transportation work group. Uh, we're also part of the infrastructure resiliency group. We're also part of the ecosystem work group and the building and heat resilience work group. So we're looking at different aspects within the work that we normally do to see how we can be part of that and how we can uh, try to reduce and achieve the goals that we have in front of us. 
Now, I know I focused mostly on winter and, and your folks work on the roads year round. What sorts of projects take up most of your time? And what would you like the rest of us to know about what your department is doing? So, as I mentioned early on, the county has over 3,600 roads. Anytime you drive on a roadway, whatever you see as part of driving on a roadway, whether it's a sign, whether it's pavement markings, whether it's curb and gutter, asphalt, street trees, street lights, storm drain infrastructure, guardrails, all of that is maintained by Bureau of Highways. And we have uh, different things that we try to do during the year, depending on what season we are in. Come spring all the way through summer and fall, we might be mowing a lot of roadways. We might be doing litter pickup along roadways. We might be fixing traffic signals, street lights that need to be installed or, or modified, pavement markings that need to be refreshed every summer, school zone flashers that need to be timed. So there's different things that we work on all year long. It's not just the winter months. This past summer, we worked on a lot of school zones. Our primary focus was installing crosswalk markings and signs, especially within school zones, was a big focus that we had this past summer. We completed over 70 to 80 projects around schools to make improvements for safety for pedestrians and bicycles that are trying to get to schools. I knew you were busy, but that's impressive. Do you foresee any new innovations to equipment and roadways that'll help us travel safer through the county and around the state? What's coming up next? Oh, I, I certainly do. You know, we have come a long ways, especially in the automobile sector. If you just focus on automobile side, we have backup cameras now that are standard within our equipment. Autonomous vehicles is, is something that is happening now. So I see, I see there's going to be a lot more changes in terms of how we operate things. And a lot of that will be working with existing infrastructure and also with infrastructure that is going to be coming our way with modifications and changes. Well, we've reached the end of our time, past the end. I'd like to keep on going. This is fascinating. I'd like to thank you, Chris, for joining me today. And I'll be back next month with another guest and another sustainable topic. In the meantime, if you have ideas or comments, you can connect with me at rmarietta at howardcc.edu. You can listen to this and all of our other episodes at greendragonhcc.podbeam.com or on Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can also catch us on HCC TV and Howard Community College's YouTube page. Now, don't forget to share, like, comment, and let others know to join us and help us take care of our world. Because every small step each of us can take can have a great impact when we act together. Thank you.